of the life of the believer is that we would worship the Lord, not just on a Sunday morning, but as a way of life. 10,000 reasons. There's reasons everywhere to exalt the name of Jesus. And so let's just be go before the Lord now, before we open up his word, which is one of the most profound reasons of all, that he has given us his scripture. And let us worship the Lord. So let's pray. Lord, how awesome it is to be in your presence. No matter where we might be, in our home, cars, people in nursing homes, folks that might be in a campground. And yet, no matter where we might be, we can worship you. And Lord, that's our desire. You have abundantly blessed us. And we're asking now that as we take time to look at your word, we're asking God that you would, through the working and the power of your spirit, actually fill us with your spirit and power and your presence. And you bring transformation to our lives. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want to find your Bibles, we are in the Gospel of Matthew. We are doing a series in this unique time in our country called Kingdom Living in a Broken World. And this morning we're going to be again in Matthew chapter 5. So if you want to find your Bibles, and I want to find out just how well you know history. But I want to ask you, as soon as you know where this is found, I want you to kind of like indicate to someone or raise your hand. I want to see if you know where this is found. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Anybody find it? Anybody know where it's at? Okay, that's right. It is from the very beginning of the Declaration of Independence. July 4th, 1776, the Second Continental Congress approved this declaration. And you know, it's, we're familiar with this. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I want you to know that the Founding Fathers, they, they knew that government couldn't ultimately give you happiness. But they did say that you could pursue it by any means that you would like. Uh, you could pursue any kind of happiness that you would like, but you had to do it within a law. But here's the amazing irony of the American experiment, is that though we actually talk about the pursuit of happiness, very few people actually know where happiness is found. What does it mean to be blessed? We pursue it in almost every different arena and avenue. We try to create happiness, but it's elusive, and very few people find it. We all want it, but very few people actually know where it is to be found. And that's why Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is so profound. It tells every single person where you can ultimately find happiness, blessing. If you really want to experience life, true liberty, and actual happiness, blessedness in your life, then you're going to want to pay close attention to what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. That word beatitude, from the Latin beatus, it means happy or blessed. And if you really want to experience this kind of happiness, blessedness, it's found in knowing God himself. So, 
how is it that you and I can experience this? How can we actually have soul satisfaction in Christ? Well, if you've got your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, that's why this is like hallowed ground. If you really want to be happy, you want to experience God's blessing, this text will tell you how it's done. What does it look like to find your soul satisfaction in Jesus Christ? I think every single person really ultimately would want to know, how is that even possible? This text tells us. Take a look, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see, the first trait of those who really find their soul satisfaction in Jesus Christ is that they have a longing, a longing desire for your life to be right with God. Now, we've got desires, right? Like, we hear about like kind of having like a being hungry for hamburgers or being hungry for like a win on the tennis court. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Hungry for love with that special person, of course. But who is talking about hunger and thirst for righteousness? No one seems to ever talk about things like that. And yet, Jesus says, if you really want to be blessed, you want to experience true happiness, it actually starts with having a deep hunger and a thirst. You see, Jesus knows Until you and I actually yearn, have a longing desire, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will never experience his blessing and we'll never have it. It's a deep-seated desire. Now, that word righteousness, what does that even mean? Well, it means to have a right relationship with God and to live right in this life, to actually enjoy right relationships. So to give you just a definition of righteousness, it is the right standing that God grants to those who have faith in Jesus Christ and the right living that comes from relationship with him. That's what it means to be righteous. It's, it's a right standing that is given to us by God when we place our faith in Christ. It is imputed. It is credited. The perfect life of Christ is credited to our account, and by virtue of this relationship of faith in Christ, we begin to live differently. We respond correctly. We have right living. We grow in right living and right relationships. All of that is entailed in this word righteousness, and Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You've got to have a sense of that emptiness that comes when you don't know God. And so he appeals to hunger and thirst, something that the first century hearers and readers would be very familiar with, and you and I are as well. We understand what it looks like to be hungry or thirsty, right? And we know that, man, when I'm really hungry or I've got this driving thirst, I know how to get it quenched. But do you understand it when it comes spiritually? That's why just a chapter before in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is even being tempted by Satan, Jesus made this statement in Matthew 4, 4, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and he says, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Many people think it's just all about the material, the horizontal, what you can see here. 
And so you're just trying to satisfy your life, your hunger, your thirst. You're just trying to satisfy your physical, corporal being. But God says, if you really want life, you want to experience true happiness and blessedness, you have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Far beyond just bread, beyond the physical and the horizontal, there must be this yearning for life to be right with God, starting with your own soul, but even what you observe around you. And so we understand that bread, physical bread, can never satisfy, but God can satisfy the soul. It's really interesting that Jesus is making this appeal and saying, hey, listen, if this is really what you want, you want to be happy, you, it all gets started with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. But this, this idea that God and God alone can truly provide blessedness and happiness, if you go all the way back to like Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2, listen to what God says. He says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. And come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money? For what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. You see, having a spiritual hunger is the precondition of God's blessing. It's, it's coming to a place where you recognize that life is broken. And you don't have a real relationship with God. I, I can speak from personal experience, and every single person can. This, this gnawing sense of emptiness, this void, something is missing. And it, and it kind of like grows. You might try to distract yourself uh, from it, but there is this deep sense yearning, this void, this, this desire to fulfill, and yet it's empty. Life lacks purpose. You sense a lack of meaning. The things that you would want to experience, and like love and joy, the things that God gives, like peace, patience, and goodness. You want to be a faithful person. You'd like to be able to persevere. You want to know gentleness. You would love to be able to experience self-control, but don't you realize that you, you can't? It's like... You, rec- you come face to face with the reality that you've got this deep yearning to know God and for life to be what you perceive should be right. And yet, you've got emptiness. You can't control your lust, your anger, your relationships. You actually sabotage them. And all of this creates this yearning and this longing. And I want you to know that those who find their soul satisfied by Christ— they have a longing for life to be right with God. I don't know if you've done this lately. I love to walk around in my neighborhood. And every once in a while, uh, when you're out walking, usually on the weekends, you uh, you like, whoa, you take it in. And somebody is like grilling out, okay? Or I've got multiple neighbors, and they've got like smokers and stuff, and they're like the brisket champions. And, and you can smell like beef, hamburgers, steaks. Maybe there's bratwurst. There's brisket going. And what happens is like you're not even really thinking about those things until all of a sudden some of those little food mo- uh, molecules come floating by, and you pick them up in the old factory senses in your nose like, 
whoa. And then all of a sudden, you're thinking about food. In fact, you're thinking about what that guy is cooking over there. In fact, maybe if I walk a little closer, I'll offer a sample or something. But all of a sudden, you've got this craving, this yearning desire for whatever is being grilled out. And it's not an illusion. It's not some sort of game that's being played in your head. You've actually come into contact in a very small degree with these food molecules. And they've spurred a desire in you, a longing. I want you to know that's how it works with God. All of a sudden, there is this yearning and this desire to know him, to experience his peace, to have purpose. And I'll tell you, like, this is what it looked like in my life. There was just this longing, a longing for relationship with God. And you could see that life wasn't right. And you didn't have even the capability of even changing it. I want you to know that those who find their soul satisfied with Christ, they have a longing desire for God to make life right and for their life to be right with God. Let me show you something else. For those who experience their soul satisfied by Jesus Christ, they not only have a longing desire for life to be right with God, but they also have a love for who Christ is and what he has done. You see, he says, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I want you to know that if you have a longing, and chances are you would not be watching right now if there wasn't some sort of desire, some sort of longing. I want you to know that is God at work. Because you and I, we are spiritually dead, okay? Romans chapter 3 actually tells us in verses 10 and 11, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one, And there is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. You and I, in our natural state, we're not seeking after God. We are just trying to make it here. And we'll try to create all sorts of meaning and purpose and just try to fill our life with with whatever. And we'll try to deal with the dysfunction or ignore it or run away from it or blow it up, whatever it is. But when God starts giving you a desire for him, for life to be right, for, to know peace, to experience and to know forgiveness, to have meaning, I want you to know that's God at work. And all of this is meant to lead you to Christ, to his righteousness. Not that you created on your own. Please don't get the ideas like, well, I've got this yearning and desire to know God. I would like life to be better and right. Well, then I need to become religious i got to start practicing a bunch of rituals, and somehow I'm going to please God. I want you to know that is a system that is doomed to failure. And there are many that are trapped up in these like religious exercises and rituals and routines, and they think that if they follow all these regulations, that somehow God is going to be pleased with them. Friends, that is another dead end. Like Paul said, you know, I finally have discovered it. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, listen to what he says, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, like by keeping all the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says, I was once caught up in the religious routine. 
In fact, I was a leader of the movement. But I realized that the only way you could ever experience life right with God, right with others, is that if you experience by faith knowing Christ and have his righteous life being credited to you. Friends, that's where it all begins. And as you start to realize that my faith in Christ has transformed and changed everything about me, friends, you begin to love Jesus. You see, for the unbeliever, this hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's meant to lead you to salvation. It is meant to bring you to a place that you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And the moment that you do, that you turn from your sin and you trust in Christ for forgiveness, for life, for righteousness, for right standing with God, I want you to know that you receive all the merits of Christ. You have what is called positional righteousness. You could never get it more. You have it in full. And it is really the opposite of how the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Judaism, approached righteousness. They thought that if they would go through the routines and follow all their man-made traditions and their rituals and look down upon and judge everybody else who wasn't doing what they were doing, and they themselves couldn't do it, but somehow that system would earn them favor with God. I want you to know that will never work. You and I, we need Christ. And Christ alone can give us righteousness. And what happens is we begin to love him. Augustine, that great theologian from the 5th century, said this in his book, Confessions. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. If you have never really come to place your faith in Christ, you could describe your life as restless. Yeah, you might try to give kind of the, the image or the facade that I got it all together, but you know in your heart of hearts, in your soul, you are restless. This longing is meant to draw you to Christ, to turn from your sin and to trust Christ and Christ alone. But I want you to know people will try almost every avenue until they get to a place of absolute brokenness before God. We have a great story of that. Luke chapter 15, remember Jesus told this parable, you, you might be familiar with it, as the prodigal son. Remember that kid, you know, he wanted his father's inheritance. Uh, his father graciously gave it to him. He went out and he just thought, I will experience soul satisfaction. I will do it like the world says. And I, it can't be wrong. This is what is the values of society. And so he did. He tried to live it up. And he, ex he tried to find popularity and fame and pleasure and self-satisfaction in all sorts of sources. And he gave himself to whatever wickedness might be in front of him because he thought, well, I know I didn't grow up this way, but ah, this has got to be where life is. There's just some sort of thrill and adrenaline rush that comes when you do this. And you engage in this kind of behavior. And so he went on and he kind of pursued that life. But you remember his money ran out and a famine occurred. His friends all evaporated. And he found himself having to sign on as a, as a helper for a pig farmer. A pretty despicable position for a Jewish boy. 
And there at the place where he's feeding these pigs and these hogs, and he found himself even yearning to eat their food, that he finally came to his senses and realized just how far he had fallen. And he had this great plan that, what I need to do, I need to go back to my father. I need to repent. I need to return. I need to go to him. And do you remember when he did in that wonderful reception? You can read about it in Luke chapter 15. You see, all the things that his soul really desired were actually being offered and given to him by his father. But it wasn't until he hit absolute brokenness that he really hungered and thirsted for righteousness that he ever found his soul satisfied. And friends, that's going to be your story. That's my story. There was a deep longing. I knew something great was missing. I didn't know what, but it was very evident. And I could see that there was just this lack of ability in my life and that this was this just something was broken, broken inside. But then I started actually meeting people that knew God. They actually had a living relationship with Jesus Christ. I knew that they had something that I did not. You could see it by how they approached life and the way that they lived, their priorities, their sense of significance and purpose and meaning, how they treated people. They, they had a sense of confidence. They weren't like trying to make it happen. But then you started learning about Jesus, who he is, why he came, the greatness of his salvation, who he is, and what he has done. And what happens is that that longing is now met with a faith and a love for Christ. And it begins and brings transformation when you and I place our faith in him. And that's what God wants us to do, to find our soul satisfied in him. So you have this hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you place your faith in Christ, and you begin to live in his love, I want you to know that you will be satisfied. That is the story and the testimony of every true Christian. And God wants us to live in his love. That's why Jesus said, and remember in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus says, you want your soul satisfied? I am the bread of life. Are you thirsty for life to be right, right with God, right with others, peace with yourself? He says, come to me and I will give you what you need and you will never thirst. And that is what God wants us to do, to live in his love. And John 15, verse 9, Jesus made this statement. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide or live in my love. Friends, that's when our soul is satisfied. When we're living in his love, we're done fighting with God, fighting with ourselves, fighting with others. We're resting in and living in his love. Just like the Father has loved the Son, so the Son invites us to experience life in his love. 
And friends, as we grow in this relationship of knowing the goodness and the grace and the wonder and the joy and the love of God, your soul will be satisfied. Let me give you one other point. Those people who have the traits of experiencing Christ as the satisfaction of their life, they not only have a longing and desire for life to be right with God, they also have a love for who Christ is and what he's done, but they also have a lifestyle of following Jesus as one of his disciples. You remember, who is Jesus talking to on the Sermon on the Mount, these Beatitudes? Who is he talking to? Chapter 5, verse 1, he is speaking to his disciples, those who are following him, those who are learners. Remember what a disciple is. A disciple is one who is in an intentional and relational process of maturing as a Christ-centered believer and is being mobilized for ministry. That's what a disciple is. And those who experience a soul satisfaction in Christ, they do so because they're following him for a lifetime, for an eternity. And it's interesting, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it should read, Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting, for these are present participles. It is an ongoing hungering, thirsting. It's not a, well, I'm hungry once or thirsty once, but it is actually a way of life. And he says, and these are the ones that will be satisfied. You're always hungry, always thirsty, but you keep coming back to me and I give you satisfaction. This, this righteousness that is being discussed here by Jesus, it really comes in at least three forms. It's a desire to be righteous, to be right with God. It's a desire to do what is right, to actually live what is right, to have the character and the integrity, the maturity, the stability, the hope, the peace, the joy that comes from knowing God. But it's also a desire to see right being done. You want God's righteousness to be manifested even in this world in which you live. And so the problem is this. First of all, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 is rarely thought about. When's the last time anybody's even talked or led a discussion on hungering and thirsting for righteousness? When's the last time you even evaluated, like, is this true in me? It's, this is like, we don't even think about things like this. And that's probably the problem. You see, we are so caught up and so enamored and so tempted by so many things other than righteousness that it's as if the whole pursuit, the hunger and thirst for righteousness is just completely passed up because we're tempted by so many other things. There's so many other options out there. I'm sure you're familiar with Dennis the Menace, uh, Hank Ketchum's comic strip. In one of those, Dennis is looking at a catalog, and he's saying this, this catalog's got a lot of toys I didn't even know I wanted. That's how life works, right? I mean, that's what an advertiser does. When, you're, when you study marketing, what you want to do is you want to create desire for something, even if it's something that they've never even considered. Like, what? But one, you show them, like, well, how cool it would be that if you had this. Like, for instance, just even see how they market cars these days. It has nothing to do with the engine, 
really, all it is is about the cool people that are driving it, just how cool it is to go through the tunnels and stuff, and the, the stereo system really works great, and you've got all these cool-looking friends in you, and you're having such a good time. They're just trying to sell you an experience. It says nothing in the car. It could be a piece of junk, and it may be, but that doesn't matter. You're like, oh, I need that car. Not because it's a good car, but because, well, I want that. I want you to know that's marketing. And that happens all the time, everywhere. And even if you were a follower of Jesus, there are all these voices and all these different little options and blinking lights that are all around you saying, well, actually, if you really want to be satisfied, you want to really be blessed and happy, you need these things. You need a fancier skylight. You need an updated kitchen, a faster car. You need whiter teeth. You need um, smoother skin, nicer clothes, a warmer vacation, a better school for your kids. Uh, You need an upgrade on all these things. And many times there's nothing wrong with all these things. It's just that they become the dominating priority in your life. And you rarely, if ever, actually consider this. Do I have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, I got a lot of hunger and thirst, and it's for this or that or that person or these experiences, and I really want that, and these are all my long-term goals. But is hunger and thirst for righteousness one of them? Jesus says, did you really want to be happy? Did you really want to be blessed? Then hunger and thirst for righteousness, and I, I will satisfy you. See, the goal of hungering and thirsting for righteousness for the unbeliever is to bring us to salvation, to bring us to a place where we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But for the believer, it's sanctification, that we grow in holiness, that we experience God being our sole satisfaction. And that word satisfaction is, was often used for feeding of animals, and you would give them as much as they wanted until they could just want no more and they didn't want any more. But that's how it works in this life. It's kind of like this marvelous paradox. God satisfies, and yet there's this ongoing hunger and thirst. And yet you keep going back to God, and he satisfies. It's very much like how we live our daily physical lives. We wake up, we're hungry, right? We're thirsty. We get something to eat. We're drinking something. A little while later, guess what? We're hungry and thirsty again. We find something to satisfy that. That's how it works with our souls. God provides. But he wants us to hunger and thirst after the things that are so important to him, like knowing and experiencing God, resting in his goodness, loving him, experiencing his joy, having a purpose in life, being on mission, making disciples, caring about the lost and the poor trying to make investments in the lives of other people, serving, expressions of worship, these are all all contained in righteousness, right living, that come from a right standing and a right relationship with God. But the problem, I think, is that um, we're malnourished. I believe we're hungry and thirsty, but I think we're malnourished because I think we're feasting on the wrong things most of the time. And that explains the anemic state of spirituality and the whole idea that when temptation comes, it's like hardly you have a power to resist because you've just been eating junk food pretty much all the time. The idea of having long-term commitment, faithfulness, experiencing God's depth, 
persevering and patience and, and going through trials. It all fades away and your life just kind of ends up in this calamitous mess because of your diet. My mother uh, seemed to be very concerned with our appetite of my, the boys. I'm the oldest of four. And what this would look like, you know, like closer to dinner, um, we'd be hungry, okay? We're growing, uh, athletes working out. We wanted to eat, and uh, we'd like just kind of like show up in the kitchen, and there'd be brownies, and you might take a row of those. Mom made cookies. We'd just start consuming those, and my mom would make some statement like, hey, stop eating that. I want you to watch your appetite, right? I, want you, I don't want you to spoil your appetite. I want you to make sure you're ready for dinner. Oh, don't worry, Mom, I will be. No, don't spoil your appetite. Now, obviously, when you're hungry, you want to satisfy that. Appetite's a good thing. But the reason my mother would say don't spoil your appetite, just eating rows of brownies and ice cream and, and all these cookies that she made, is because she knew that you needed healthy food for a healthy life. If you were going to grow up and be strong and do the things that were in front of you and do them well, you needed to have a good source of strength and energy. You needed good food. That's what God is presenting to us here. We've got to have a hunger and a thirst for what is really important. Righteousness, right relationship with God, right relationship with others, right living. That's what he's saying. It's kind of like donuts taste good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was really sad when Krispy Kreme moved out, okay? I'd love for them to come back, okay? But if your diet is just kind of Krispy Kreme donuts all the time, you're not going to have strength. It's not going to be well with you. And so, friends, if we really want to experience happiness, blessedness, he says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and your soul will be satisfied. If you long to see justice in our land, healing, if you want hope, you want forgiveness, you want to be part of the solution, you want to be a kingdom citizen that's making a difference and doing it in God's strength, God's way, for his glory, friends, you've got to have a desire, a hunger, and a thirst for righteousness. You've got to go to him. You need his word to be the sustenance for your life. And friends, if you learn to, and to put your appetite and focus it on God, his truth in his word, growing in your experience and relationship with him, I can assure you, God will satisfy your soul and he'll do it in such a way that it'll be like emanating from you. You will be one of those contagious Christians. People want to know what do you have and you'll be able to tell them, I have Jesus and the righteousness that he provides. You see, God gives us character he will give us his Holy Spirit that produces love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What our souls yearn for, knowing God, knowing that we'll be in eternity with him, having forgiveness, no longer living under the guilt of all the bad things that you have done. I want you to know God gives those things. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. You see, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are satisfied by Christ. That is the life of the kingdom citizen. When you and I pray, God, will your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I want you to know you're thinking and yearning 
for his righteousness. There's a hunger and a thirst. That's what God wants from kingdom citizens. Not to be so enamored in this world and you're just kind of buying off on all these temptations and you're just kind of flitting around uh, from just one thing after another, just trying to fill the void. You got just enough Christianity in you to be inoculated No, he's calling for a radical transformation that comes from a hunger and a thirst for his righteousness, which can only be satisfied in Christ. And there is this deep longing for true spiritual freedom, health, vitality, and life, and it's found in Christ. There is, in the Mariner's Museum in Newport News, Virginia, uh, there's a very unique display in the midst of all these awesome ships and boats and seagoing vessels and um, artifacts from significant battles. There is one particular display of, it's just a rickety, homemade aluminum kayak. It looks really out of place in the midst of all the grandeur and these really cool seagoing vessels. But this particular kayak has rather amazing story. In 1966, an auto mechanic by the name of Lariano and his wife Consuelo, they decided that they could no longer live under the oppression of Cuba's totalitarian regime. After spending months collecting scrap metal, they pieced together a boat just barely big enough for two small people. Then Lariano jury-rigged a small lawnmower engine on the back of the kayak. And after months of planning, on a moonless September night in 1966, sitting back to back and wearing only their swimsuits, they set out in the treacherous straits of Florida. They had only enough water and food for a couple of days. And finally, after they had floated on open water for over 70 hours, the U.S. Coast Guard found and rescued the couple just south of Alligator Reef Light in the Florida Keys. Was it worth the risk to find freedom? Lariano thought so. And years later, this is what he said, quote, When one has grown up in liberty, you realize it is important to have freedom. We lived in the enormous prison which is Cuba, where one's life is not worth one crumb where one goes out into the street and does not know whether or not one will return to one's home because the political police can arrest you without any warning and put you in prison. Before this could happen to us, we thought that going into the ocean and risking death or being eaten by sharks is a million times better than to stay suffering under political oppression. You see, what they had was a longing for freedom, and they moved forward by faith. And friends, that's the longing that God wants in his people. A longing, a hunger, and a thirst for righteousness. For the non-believer, once you start having that longing, you put your faith in Christ who loved you and died for you and has has risen from the grave. And for those of us who do know him, that hunger and a thirst drives us to knowing God deeply, and to living in his right ways. You see, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they are satisfied by Christ. Let's pray. Lord, 
Thank you so much for your word. God, if we would just experience you giving us just this waking in our heart, this new and greater pursuit of hungering and thirsting for your righteousness, to recognize that we've got to be weary of just all that's in front of us because it can capture our affections and our attention in ways that will diminish a desire for your righteousness. Lord, only you can do these things. And we are your kingdom citizens by virtue of what you've done for us in Christ. Father, for those who are watching right now who have never trusted you, would they right now just turn from their sin and say, God, I've sensed this gnawing need. I need forgiveness. I need life with you. This morning, I get it. And I'm turning from my sin. I'm repenting and I'm trusting in Christ. Fill me and lead me and continue to do that for eternity. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, may we walk in your ways to know your goodness and your grace and to celebrate you, the righteous one, throughout all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at this time, uh, like we said, Brian said at the beginning, we're going to have a time of communion. So if you want to make sure that you have your elements ready, uh, I want you to take a minute here just to examine your heart. Now, the Bible says that that you must actually be a believer, a true follower of Jesus to partake in communion. In fact, it warns that if you really don't know Christ, you shouldn't partake because what is needed for life to be blessed and for life with God is faith in Christ. And this is a commemorative celebration. It is looking back at the death of Christ, the one who paid for all of our sins so that we could experience his life that we could know his righteousness, and that we would celebrate this forever. And so for 2,000 years, believers have gathered together, and they've remembered Christ, and they've done so in communion. And so what I'm going to ask, I'm going to just give you a minute for you just to go before the Lord, to pray, to confess any sin, to ask God to give you a hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And then in just a minute, I will lead us in communion together. So let's pray.